All right, this morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians again. We're looking at chapter 6, verses 3 to 13, as we continue our study in this book. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, beginning at verse 3. Paul writes, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you, We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Let's pray. Father, when we think of Paul's life and ministry, he experienced so much, far beyond what we will ever experience in this life, of hardship and trials and suffering and persecution. And yet he pressed on eyes on you, understanding the ministry that you had given to him, and he was so faithful in bringing the gospel to those who had never heard it before. Father, may we learn from his example today. May you give us both courage as well as the grace and patience to persevere. And may we too honor you in our circumstances, in every area of our life that others would see and come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. As I was working on this message this week, uh, the question that kept coming back to mind for me is a question I'd like to set out at the beginning. What kind of impression do I leave as a Christian? It's a good question for all of us to think about in terms of our life, our ministry, our relationships, our neighborhood, our place of work, or our school. What kind of impression do I leave as a Christian? Is it positive or negative, or what would others say about me and my life? A few weeks ago, uh, Les Frazier was asked to be the new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. What you may not know about Les Frazier is that uh, he's a solid Christian, and his first coaching position was actually at the Evangelical Free Church College, Trinity International University, in Deerfield, Illinois. Uh, Ken Meyer, who was the president at that time, you know, asked Les Frazier to come and start a football program at our college. We didn't have one there before that. And so he invited Les to come out, and uh, Mike Singletary came out at that time too and was assisting and helping as they began this program, recruiting students and building a discipleship ministry into what they were doing there and their coaching. And so I think about that as he steps into this role of being a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, That's not an easy position. 
you are in the spotlight. Uh, everybody's going to be watching you and you know, critiquing every decision you make. They're going to be watching to see how he handles the players, how he handles you know, the pressure of being in the media spotlight, and how he handles you know, adversity or challenges that are going to come. And I think even more so as a Christian, uh, they're going to be watching to see how his faith impacts what he does as a coach. Because he is more than a coach, he is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. But the truth is that all of us are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. In our work, in our neighborhood, in our schools, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given this great responsibility. And so it's something that we all need to think about, the impression that we are giving to others about what it means to be a Christian. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We speak on his behalf, and we represent an office that is higher than any office in this land. You know, we um, represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, it is more of an honor to represent Jesus Christ than it is to represent the President of the United States. And I say that with all due respect to our President, but it is a greater honor to represent Jesus, the King of Kings, than any earthly leader or official. But it is also a challenge, because everything that we do or say now is going to be evaluated, and it reflects on more than just us. It reflects on Jesus Christ. Our life the choices we make, our conduct, the way that we speak and respond to things, all of that reflects upon Jesus. That's the challenge of being an ambassador for Christ. And that's really what this passage deals with. I mean, the, the key to this passage is what Paul said in verse 20 of the previous chapter, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And what Paul shares here are the circumstances that he went through in his life and ministry that were a challenge to him as he sought to represent Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three things that he touches on this morning. Number one, the challenge of being an ambassador is to live in such a way that we will not discredit the message or the ministry. We see that in verse 3 when he says that we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Paul wanted to live again as an example and do nothing that would take away from the gospel. So he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. King James or New American Standard Version say, we give no cause for offense in anything. Now that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? Because, you know, the fact is all of us are sinners. There are going to be times when we do stumble or we say or do something that was not honoring to Christ, and we need to own up to that. We need to ask for His forgiveness, and there are times when we need to go to the people around us and ask for their forgiveness and admit what we did was wrong. But there's this bottom line understanding that as an ambassador of Christ, we don't do, want to do anything that's going to bring shame to the Lord or to His gospel or to the church. We don't want to do something that would trip a person up or cause them to say, you know, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, will we please everyone? No, because the gospel itself is an offense to some. 
I mean, just sharing the good news of the gospel and the reality that we are all sinners is going to offend some people. And they won't like that. And some people will be upset at you or take out their feelings upon you simply because you believe in Jesus Christ. And that happened to Paul time and time again as he brought the gospel to these remote areas. But on the other hand, we don't want to do anything in our conduct that is so hypocritical that people are turned away from Christ or the gospel. You know, I cringe every time there's a story in the news of another pastor or a priest who has stumbled or fallen into a fair, or you hear the stories, you know, that were coming out for a long time in the Catholic Church about clergy abuse and all of those things. It doesn't matter whether it's Catholic or Protestant. It happens in the church. And every time it happens, it hurts. Young people are disillusioned with the church, and unbelievers scoff at Christianity. Philip Hughes said this, he said, nothing is more likely to cause the name of God to be blasphemed and mocked by unbelievers than a hypocritical minister. That's why this responsibility is so great. It's a high calling to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Yet the truth is that this isn't just pastors who need to take this responsibility seriously. It is true for all of us who claim to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And so I think about that. In the work that I do, I want to be very careful to live in such a way that I don't cause someone to stumble in their faith. But the same thing's true for all of us when it comes to our homes and our relationship with Jesus Christ and our attitudes and our work and our marriage. We want to lift him up. And I'd, I'd ask you to think about, you know, in your own family, as parents, what would your children say about your faith? I mean, do they see that it is real and it's important to you? Because if as a parent, you know, you're bringing your kids to church and just kind of dropping them off and say, well, you guys go, you know, and then you go home or you go do something else, that's sending a mixed message. If you want your kids to catch the faith and to understand how important this is to you, then they need to see it in your life. That it affects your decisions or the way you treat one another, the conversations at home or your attitudes about life and people. It needs to be real if the kids are going to see that. The same thing's true at work. If we want to be a witness for Christ in our work or at school, then others need to see in us that we are honest or trustworthy or a good worker. We're able to keep confidences or we are an encourager and come alongside of other people. All of that is part of our witness for Jesus Christ. And God is looking for people who will step up to that responsibility. I love how Paul puts it in Colossians 1.10. You can go to that verse. He says that the challenge for all of us is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects in every area of our life, to bear fruit in every good work and be increasing in our knowledge of God. Now in that letter, he puts that in the form of a prayer. He tells the Colossians, this is what I am praying for you. It's a great prayer to pray for one another, for those in your family. But it sets out this calling that we have to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, to please Him in every area of our life, to be that kind of person who's bearing fruit in every good work, 
and who is increasing or growing in our knowledge of God. So when you think about your life and your testimony, how are you doing in that regard? Are you seeing good progress in your faith in that, that area? Or is there anything in your life that would bring shame to the Lord or His gospel and the church? And if there is, it needs to be confessed and put aside. Confess it to the Lord and put it aside and make your decision to follow Him. It's a challenge and a responsibility to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We don't want to do anything that's going to cause someone to stumble. But secondly, the challenge of being an ambassador then is to live in such a way that we will commend ourselves as servants of God. So Paul addresses the negative side of it first of saying, I don't want to cause any stumbling blocks for someone. But on the other side, he's saying, you know, I want to live now in a way that people can see the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Our lifestyle should support what we say rather than contradict it. Our life is an evidence that what God has said in his word is true. And Paul goes into this lengthy section here, verses 4 through 10, where he describes, you know, a lot of different circumstances that he went through in his life. When you go to the book of Acts, you can see the specific examples that he was talking about. The times when he went into cities and he was persecuted, rounded up, brought before authority, sometimes beaten, sometimes whipped. In one situation, even stoned and left for dead. And you just see it time after time again. And he get up, go back into the city, or go to the next town and continue to preach the gospel. I mean, it's amazing what he did. But then it raises the question for us, you know, how do we respond to our circumstances? We will never go through the kind of severe things that Paul did. But how do we handle our circumstances? And do we show that we are a servant of Christ by our response to that? You can break some of these down into different areas. You know, in verses 4 and 5, they kind of break down into three different areas. There are circumstances brought on by life. He describes them as things like troubles and hardships and distress. There are circumstances that are common to all of us just living in this world. You know, cars break down, kids get sick, there are bills to pay, there are challenges at work where things don't go quite as smoothly as you like. There are circumstances outside of our control, like with the economy, and sometimes people lose their job or business is slow. How do you handle that? I mean, what do you do when those normal circumstances of life come along? Are you able to trust God in them and to persevere with joy? Or do you find yourself just simply grumbling and complaining? Our attitude makes a huge difference. You know, I think of my dad in that regard. Um, Growing up on a farm, we spent a lot of time together just working. I mean, I was with my dad a lot. And I think back on that, and I think of how, you know, it changes. You know, for me, uh, being involved in ministry going here, my kids didn't see me quite as much. They'd see me Sunday morning or other times during the week, but it wasn't like they were with me all day long at work. And I had many days like that with my dad. And I saw how he related to people. I saw how he made decisions. I saw how he handled, you know, tough things in his life and adversity when crops would fail 
or there'd be a hailstorm, or there would be machinery that would break down and need to be repaired. And I remember about my dad just seeing someone who was so steady, so faithful, so persevering in his work. And he did it without grumbling or complaining. He was the kind of guy who was pretty quiet. I'm more verbal than he is. But I learned a lot from him in terms of his character. And when I saw him relating to people, you know, in the community and business, I saw how he treated them with kindness and how he was respected in return. And all of that, as a young kid, you know, just kind of tailing along behind your dad, makes such an impression because you are listening and watching and learning all the time. And for those of us, you know, as parents, you know, when our kids are growing up, especially in those young ages, I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. They're listening to your speech. They're watching your habits, you know, seeing what you do, and they're imitating. And they will also do that with our faith. They will imitate our faith. So how we handle those circumstances brought on by life is really important. Can we do that with joy and gratitude and trust and confidence? Then they will learn to do the same. How do we handle circumstances that are caused by others? And Paul describes those here as beatings, imprisonments, and riots. I mean, Paul lists both the persecutions and the personal attacks that he went through. And those were severe. Uh, Not only did he suffer those uh, beatings or imprisonments and riots, but then were these personal attacks where false teachers would come along, they would slander Paul, they would accuse him, or there were misunderstandings. How did Paul handle them? He persevered. He went on in faith and trust. How do we handle those things? You know, if somebody falsely accuses you of something at work or in your neighborhood or something like that, a situation where you are accused falsely, how do you handle that? Do you want to lash out and return, or do you bring that to the Lord and respond in a way that is Christ-like? What about when we are wrong and we did say something or we lied or we uh, mistreated someone? Do we have the courage, the guts to go back and to say, you know what, I was wrong. I was out of line. Sometimes those admissions of guilt on our part are way more powerful even in our witness than other things that we do. Because people see somebody who's real enough or genuine enough to own up to our mistakes and then is willing to go on and to live for Christ. It's important to even do that with our kids too at times when we may have reacted poorly and to go back to them and say, you know what, dad was wrong or mom was wrong and I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have said that. Those make a powerful impression. And finally, he talks also about circumstances that are voluntarily imposed. He describes things like hard work and sleepless nights and hunger. You know, Paul in his ministry as an apostle didn't have to punch a clock. There was no one there saying, you know, you need to get up at this time and go to work or you need to do this or do that, except the Lord. In terms of his convictions and his conscience and what God had called him to do, Paul was very, very faithful on doing that. And he continued to press on and to bring the gospel to those who had never heard in different parts of the Mediterranean region. He worked hard for the sake of Christ. 
He went through nights without sleep or he would be up late or he would be traveling or he would be in danger. And he voluntarily chose to do all of those things. There were times when he went without food. He was hungry. He's not just talking about fasting here, but he's also talking about those times when he just worked through lunch or he was hungry or he was doing without for the sake of the gospel. We read how he worked as a tent maker. Even though he could have made his living by the offerings of others, when he went to new areas, you know, he didn't want them to misunderstand and think that he was somebody just in this for the money. And so he was supported by the generosity of other Christians who supported him in his work, kind of as a missionary. And he also worked as a tent maker to provide for himself. And so he voluntarily went through those things. But here's the deal with Paul, and the question for us as well. He made those sacrifices, but he didn't share them as though, like, woe is me, or look at what I've done, calling attention to himself. He chose to do that to honor Christ and to be an example of hard work and sacrifice to others. And the sacrifices he made, he made with joy for the sake of Christ. How about us? When we look at our life, are we willing to make those sacrifices for Christ and do that with joy in our heart? When it comes to giving of our time, do we feel good about that? And we see the fruit that comes from that. And so we gladly give of our time to serve in ministry with joy. And we see how God uses it. Or when it comes to giving and the offering, you know, if you have come to that point where you are tithing and you give 10% of your income or more to the Lord, and you do that, and that means literally that there are some things that you're not going to own or be able to buy or do because of the sacrifice that you have made, can you do that with joy in your heart and say, you know, I would gladly do this, and I give these things freely because of all that Christ has done for me. When we do it that way, that's, that gives a powerful impression again to our children who see our faith and see it lived out. That's what Paul did. Paul showed himself as a servant of God in the way that he dealt with his circumstances. But you go on in this list. Paul showed that he was a servant of God in purity, in understanding, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, and in truthful speech. You can go on all the way through that list. And above all, Paul showed that he was a servant of God in great endurance. I mean, I, I read that. He describes the paradoxes of the Christian life too. When uh, you get a little bit farther down in this uh, section, beginning of verse 8, he said, you know, that he carried out his ministry in glory and in dishonor. There were those who understood what Paul was doing and understood God's calling, and they saw the ministry as a glorious thing. And there were others who saw it as dishonorable, as a waste. There were people who gave a bad report about Paul, and there were those who gave a good report. There were people who thought he was genuine and others who regarded him as an imposter. There were those who knew Paul and knew his heart, and yet there were others that he was unknown and didn't value him. He was sorrowful. He experienced sorrow in his work and ministry. And yet on the other side, he was always rejoicing. 
He was poor. I mean, in the world's eyes and by the standard that the world measures things, he was not a success. He owned nothing, and he was poor. And yet on the other side, he can say, we are making many rich with eternal riches and rewards. We have nothing by the world's standards, and yet we possess everything in Jesus Christ. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, he's describing the the paradox of ministry, the paradox of being a Christian, and how the world sees things. And you could list all those things on one side in terms of this is how the world sees being a Christian or ministry. But this is how God sees it. And it is glorious, and it is precious, and it is valuable in his sight. And so in all of those things, Paul said we did this in great endurance. It's the very first thing on the list in verse uh, 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And he starts with, in great endurance. It's like the heading. We persevere. And I think that's significant. And I want to spend a little time on this. Because I believe that one of the greatest temptations for anyone in ministry and in the Christian life is the temptation to quit. It's the temptation to quit. To give up and to say, you know what? This is too hard. Or I'm just tired of dealing with it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And people quit. Do you know the name John Stott? John Stott was a great evangelical pastor in England. Uh, He's been an example, a role model, a teacher to many who have gone on in ministry. I remember hearing John Stott speak at our seminary when I was a student there, and I really respect him and what he did. He made this statement. He said, the first temptation that I am exposed to more than any other is to run away. Not to give in, but to leave. I sometimes say that my favorite verse is Psalm 55, 6. Oh, for the wings of a dove that I may flee and be at rest. There were times when he just got weary of the fight. I mean, it's a fight living for Christ. It's a fight in ministry. You hear these stories of struggle. You see people you've poured your life into walk away from the faith. Or you see the hardships and pain people bring on themselves by disobedience to Christ. Or you see the sin in yourself and you go, Oh, Lord, how could I do that again? I mean, I thought I've walked with you now for, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, you know, you say that and you go, Why do I still struggle with some of these things? You know, the battle's never over. And the temptation at times can be to quit. You know, I've heard the statistic that only one out of ten who start in ministry stay in ministry. One out of ten. I mean, I I heard that a long time ago, and I go, man, that doesn't seem like a lot of people that continue on. And I thank God for those that I know, friends in ministry that have been faithful and are persevering, but I do know of many who have left ministry for various reasons. It is not always because of a moral failure situation. Sometimes it is because of health, burnout, Sometimes people just get weary and they get tired of the fight in churches and they leave. They step aside, they leave. The temptation is to quit. It's not just true in ministry, though. The same thing can happen in a marriage. People leave rather than work it through. If you come to a hard point in your marriage, are you committed to working through those issues? 
Are you committed to bringing this before the Lord and as someone who loves the Lord to say, God, would you help us to bring healing in our marriage so that we might honor you in this situation? Because it's too easy. And many times people just give up. They stop short and they quit rather than work it through. It can happen in churches. It happens in churches when there's a conflict in a church or where people have conflicts with somebody else. Sometimes they just want to walk away rather than work it through and express love and forgiveness and understanding. And it happens in the Christian life where people get weary and they stop walking with God. And they say things like, you know what, I'm not happy or this hasn't worked for me or whatever their experience may be and they want to give up. And I think Satan comes along and he tempts us in that area to say, you know, just throw in the towel. See, this isn't working. When that's a lie. When that's a lie. God never said that the Christian life was going to be easy. But he did say he would be there with us. And he gives us his joy, he gives us his power, he gives us the strength to cope and to persevere when we surrender our life to him. The key is to walk with God and let Jesus be the Lord of our life. So where does the power come from to persevere? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within us. When we, again, yield our life to Him and ask Him to fill us and to empower us, to guide us, and we choose to keep our eyes on the goal, and we choose to keep our eyes on Christ, and we are going to follow Him. It's why we need the encouragement from others in the body of Christ. You can't do this alone. If God, I mean, if Satan gets you in isolation and thinking you can do this all on your own and you're just going to gut it out, you are ripe for the enemy's attacks. We need one another. We need the fellowship from believers. We need to be in God's word. We need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. He has given us all that we need to persevere. And thirdly, the challenge of being an ambassador is to love others even when love is not returned. The challenge to love others even when love is not returned. God's given us this assignment to go into the world, to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. He's called us to love others just as he loves us. And sometimes we're going to find us, ourselves in situations where that love is not returned. And that's how it was for Paul here in this situation with the Corinthians, which is so sad when you think of how he had spent time there and ministered to them and encouraged them. And yet somehow these false teachers had come into him, you know, come into the church there, and they had discredited Paul. They accused him of things that were not true. And the Corinthians began to have doubts about Paul and his ministry. And Paul appealed to them as a father who loves his children. Open wide your hearts. You know, he said, we have expressed our love for you. We have opened wide our heart to you. We have no hard feelings in this matter. We care about you. We are praying for you. Would you reciprocate and do the same and open your heart to us? Can you imagine what that would feel like? Can you imagine how Paul felt to love and not be loved in return? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you have experienced that as a parent or as a spouse. 
And maybe you have, you know, poured your life into your kids and then there's a point in their life as they begin older where they start to pull away a little bit or they drift and you don't feel like they are respecting you or maybe you don't feel like that love is being shown in return. It can be very hard. Maybe you've worked at a marriage and you feel like you have just given so much in that marriage but it has not been returned. And you hurt. There's grief in that. That's, that's reality. There is grief in that. But what the Scripture would say is don't give up and don't hold back. Love just as Christ has loved you. Can you do that as an ambassador for Christ? to pour your heart out and to show your love to your children or family members or friends, whatever context that may be in. It was interesting, I ran across this story about Cal Ripken, who used to play baseball for the Baltimore Orioles. He was the baseball Ironman, set the record for the most games played consecutively without taking a day off. He said this about the family in which he grew up. He said, you know, my dad did not say he loved me very much. That's kind of just the way it was. I knew my dad loved me, but in that generation, it wasn't expressed quite as verbally. And he said, you know what? I wanted to do that different in my family. I wanted my kids to hear that I loved them. I wanted to tell them that I love you no matter what. No matter whether you are good or bad or you're happy or sad, it doesn't matter. I love you and I am committed to you unconditionally without reservation, always. And he said, you know, I might run the risk or maybe you'll think I'll be telling them so often that it might lose some of its meaning. But he said, I'll risk it. I'll risk it because I want my kids to know that I love them. And I would challenge you in that same way to do the same, to express to your children, express to your uh, spouse your unconditional love. And show that then in your actions and the way you treat them. The challenge of being an ambassador is to live in such a way that others can see Jesus in us and see our progress in the faith. We're not perfect. We're not going to be without sin. We're going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to sin and we're going to do some things that we shouldn't. We need to own up to that. But people should see our progress, that we are becoming more and more like Christ, more patient, more loving, more understanding. We honor Christ in our choices, the things that we do. We want to practice what we preach. We want to live out what we believe. And so in that process of growth, we want to avoid stumbling blocks. We don't want to do anything that would cause a brother or sister or an unbeliever to stumble. We want to be a servant. Stay faithful. Persevere. Show that you are a follower of Christ by the way that you deal with adversity or your circumstances and situations in life. And let the Holy Spirit fill you and use you. And finally, love others just as Christ loves you. Unconditionally, freely, generously. Do it even when love is not returned. Let's pray. Father, as I was reading through this passage this week, I thought of what a high calling this is. And there are times when we see that list of things and we go, Oh Lord, who is adequate? Who is adequate 
for such a ministry, for such a calling. And God, we aren't in ourselves, and our own strength will fail, will disappoint others, will hurt others. But by your grace and power, when we yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit, you use us and you change us and we grow from the inside out. Father, help us to take these things to heart and where we have sinned, to confess that as sin and ask for your forgiveness. And where you can use us to be a witness for Christ, Lord, help us to give you our very best. To live our life fully devoted to you so that others might see the difference that Christ has made in us. We pray this in his name. Amen.